Hey there, I'm Michelle Sherrier, and this is the Retail Whore Podcast. Stories and lessons from a life in retail. Hello, hello, guys. So we are headed into our holiday time. I've tried to stack up some additional um, educational people for all of us to hear I mean it's always going to be a balance of educational coaches and whatnot as well as retailers and wholesalers but I've really tried to kind of focus on um, coaches and business stuff for the last few months of this year just hopefully just give you a little bit of extra um, ammo and tools in your toolbox that will help you get through the holiday season Uh, today's interview is a mix of both Sarah Stonecipher is a retailer as well as a coach. Um, She has a store in St. Petersburg, Florida. She's been in retail forever. She worked in her mom's store, which was also in the same area. Um, She created Misread Outfitters, and she has built a million-dollar-plus business. And she decided that she wanted to help entrepreneurs um, go from startup to success. And no matter what stage of the journey they were on, she wanted to be able to be there and help with tools and support So she has her client base that she does coaching with as well as she's an actual retailer. So a lot of what she's telling people and what she's talking about and what she's teaching, she's actually putting into play in her store in real time. So get ready, get your pens out, sit down, start taking notes because today's a good one. So without further ado, here is my interview with Sarah Stonecipher of Miss Red Outfitters. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Retail Whore Podcast. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. I am so excited to have you on this because I've been following, I don't know how I stumbled across your page and I've been following you and what I've started to do with the podcast is, you know, I'm interviewing retailers, I'm doing solos, I'm interviewing wholesalers, but I've really started to embrace interviewing educators and people are talking about SEO and affiliate marketing and things that other retailers really need. And a lot of, to be honest with you, I don't think a lot of retailers have a chance to get out and kind of investigate some of these things. So when I stumbled across you, you're a retailer and you're an educator, I thought what a perfect marriage to have you here on the podcast. For sure. I am shocked as well that there aren't more educators in the retail space. When I launched my company, Um, you know, it really started as this small idea to do a couple of YouTube videos and just kind of share my knowledge. And the more that people reached out, I just could not believe when I'm researching on YouTube, TikTok, all these things, people aren't digging in deep to Mm. the real nitty gritty of retail. There's a lot of surface kind of content, right? How to set up your QuickBooks or, you know, set up a table display. And I go over some of that too, but there's none about retail theory and really how to engage with your customers to uh, make them spend more money and, and, you know, really get them for the long run and things that you really have to do. You can't just do the cookie cutter and expect the world to, um, you know, shop with you forever and ever. And yet that's not being talked about right now. 
Yeah, it's funny. It's like there is nothing out there. I'm actually in the process of developing an, a subscription-based platform to teach retailers how to merchandise. And then somebody I brought on that's helping consult is like, you really should look at like, you know, marketing people and having other layers of it. But really, you know, for my industry, for merchandising, it's like there's really nothing out there. I mean, and what is out there is so, no offense, everyone, but it's so bad. I mean, it's like... Yeah. You know, I mean, and the other part of it is too, is a lot of people put out these videos and they're like in perfect scenario. So it's like the perfect amount of merchandise. And so I'm filming in, in my retailers floors with actual inventory and actual like situations where it's like, what do I do with this? Like doesn't go anywhere. So I'm trying to like really like have like real life situations, but there's really, there's not a lot. And, and that's why you kind of stood out. But more importantly is that you're actually a retailer. You're not somebody just like handing out, you know, obsolete information. I mean, it's like you're, you've, you've run it, you've have your yeah. stores for years. Like, so tell everyone a little bit about yourself, um, your retail brand first, and then we'll get into the um, coaching part of it. Okay. Yeah. I own a women's retail and accessory store in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. We are in Tampa Bay and um, it's kind of the artsy, eclectic, almost like Austin kind of vibe. So very small business friendly. I'm on a main street. It's called Central Avenue. It's a huge corridor right through the center of town. There's murals everywhere. And um, I'm in the middle of the biggest shopping district of that downtown, surrounded by lots of other small businesses. But I've been there 13 years. And when I first signed my lease, it was the age-old story of pre-gentrification, right? So I came into an abandoned block. Um, they were giving it away at $5 square foot. I think I paid less than $500 a month for my you know, 1,500 square foot space but I had to put all the work into it. And so did all of my neighbors. And then gradually over the last 13 years, it's really grown into one of the gems of our city. And um, when I opened my store way back when, and it was in such an artsy, funky area, I actually was a vintage store because I was in my 20s. I had um, experience with vintage. I had actually left a e-commerce site that was one of the pioneers of vintage on the internet. Her, she had clients all over the world working for every major fashion house. Wow. And we were sourcing things for them personally and for samples and all these crazy world. And But it was e-commerce. And I had left that to um, start my own store. Uh, but prior to that, my mom had a, a high-end consignment store when I was growing up just a couple of blocks from where my current store is. Wow. I really had the experience of this, you know, secondhand merchandise um, that I knew, right? You'd go with what you know. And uh, I had corporate experience as well. I worked for Dillard's corporate headquarters in their advertising department as a stylist. And I was a rep for a clothing line and did all the markets. But then I came back around and I was like, all right, vintage is my thing. Plus, it was way cheaper to open a store doing vintage than signing a bunch of big contracts and uh, with brands. And I just didn't have that kind of money at the time. So I opened my store, $20,000, totally bootstrapped it. And after a couple of years, when the district that I'm in really started becoming cool and 
you know, million dollar condos started going up. I shifted gears and um, we've been all new since uh, about 10 years now. And uh, we've, we've just ebbed and flowed. I originally started because going from vintage to new is also very scary. We, yeah. you know, talk about rebranding. I've been there. I had to completely change everything about my store, re-educate my customers. And, but also going, jumping from spending almost no money on merchandise to a lot of money on merchandise. So when I first did that, I was doing fashion go, fast fashion, you know, doing these small orders. And then um, actually during the pandemic, I had to have a very serious talk with myself of what I wanted out of my company, like most retailers. At that point, my rent was $10,000 a month. And during the pandemic, we were shut down, but I still had to pay my rent. And so I said, if I am going to make the sacrifices to keep this thing open, I want it to be exactly what I want it to be. And I had spent so many years just on the treadmill, right? You get stuck in this, you get it stuck into the routine and you think that your customers are shopping with you for, you know, specific things and you get blinders on because you're in your shop every single day. And then the pandemic hit and you're literally sitting cross-legged on the floor of your store by yourself for (laughs) months at a time. And I decided to make some big changes. And so at that point, I brought in some major brands. Um, I converted all of my accessories to be handmade and maker focused. Uh, And I really wanted to create an atmosphere that connected with consumers on a much more personal way than just what fast fashion can offer. And since then, we've almost tripled our revenue uh, out of the exact same space. And um, it's allowed me to pursue endeavors like um, my consulting company. And uh, I have a website, howtorunaretailstore.com. And the goal is to help people who maybe want to start their own brick and mortar store um, or who currently have a brick and mortar store and are just looking for ways to up level, up level in any way. Maybe it's their branding and marketing. Maybe it's their visual. Maybe it's really just getting a hold of who they truly want their ideal consumer to be. Um, we really cover all the topics. And like I said, it started with a YouTube and now we have eBooks and e-courses and, um, all sorts of free content, um, and as well on our, uh, my website. So it's still, still new, but we're, we're growing. So, okay. That was a lot. To, I got to unpack a lot here. <laughs> um, one, I want to talk a little bit about your mom because yeah. you, you grew up watching your mom build this business in retail, you know, which would, when she opened her store, was, was it apparel and was it like house goods and like a, you know, typical consignment store? No. So it was, it's called the designer's consigner. It's actually still in St. Petersburg. It's still in the city, but a woman purchased it from her um, about 10 years ago. And um, really she started it because uh, my dad was kind of a corporate guy and they were constantly having to go to um, events and whatnot. And it was all in the same professional circles. And my mom was tired of having to buy a bunch of stuff. And so she had gone to these great consignment stores and their travels and decided to 
do it here in our town. So she called all of her friends and got all of them to bring her stuff. And they opened right in the heart of downtown St. Pete, which at the time was completely dead. She was a pioneer in retail because it was really like just office buildings and people left at five o'clock. And uh, so I, I grew up watching this and watching her fearlessness to pioneer something that just didn't exist, right? Like, wow. It wasn't like me where I was opening in a cool area. She, I mean, she really had to have vision and immediately she was president of the Downtown Business Association and making moves to increase the small business presence of downtown in, uh, you know, I grew up seeing that. And I also grew up going to the shop with her. It was in an old house. Did you work for her? Yes, it was in an old house and she converted the underneath the stairs for me and my sisters to, you know, hang out in. And then, I mean, the minute I was able to help, I was behind the counter. I mean, I was... I was doing visual merchandise when I was 10 years old and, <laughs> um, you know, and then prior to that, my, my aunt and my grandmother also worked in, um, a amazing store in downtown St. Pete as well. They didn't own it, but, um, my aunt was the general manager of the swankiest place in downtown St. Pete and the buyer selling, you know, Halston and all this great stuff wow. in the 70s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And so I grew up hearing about her buying trips in New York and hanging out at Studio 54. And oh, what a cool state. So oh my God, cool. amazing. Yeah. So, and that was just two blocks from where my mom's store was and four blocks from where my current store is. And so, you know, we ha- I just had this energy about me that, that once I was burnt out on the corporate world, I just knew I wanted to give back to my community, be a part of my community, but also really put my own stamp on what I felt, you know, I wanted to be in the fashion industry. So when you started your store and you started vintage, because I, when I had my stores at Fred Siegel, um, you know, we, I was in part of the Fred Siegel that was Fred Siegel for a better ecology. And Fred was like, so far ahead of trends. I mean, this is when I was 27. I'm 54 now, 50, uh, 56 now. Um, so, I mean, that tells you how far ahead of the game Fred was. And so I had for a time, I did sell vintage stuff. And I will tell you, it's a pain in the ass. If you oh, yeah. listen to Sophia Amorosa's stories at all about digging through dirty pots. So tell me a little bit about how you sourced and where you source, because I think the vintage world is like it's not like going to the flea market where everything's been yeah. washed and it's all pretty like oh, no. I don't think people know so I'd love for you to kind of peel back the layer of vintage yeah. for a little bit well it's funny you bring up Sophia's because we have um uh, something in common a little bit um so when I was working for this vintage website um the woman I was working for Marjorie had a website called um, the Urban Collection. And her and another girl um, were kind of like the two pioneers on eBay. And I came on board just as she was getting off of eBay and starting her own e-commerce site. And so I came on basically as her personal assistant to really transition everything. And I got to learn every piece of the puzzle 
when it came to really amazing, really cool vintage. And Sophia was doing the exact same role for the other big company of the time. Uh. And so, uh, and we both ended up leaving the companies around the same time. Obviously she uh, has done a lot more than I have in those uh, past 20 years. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a wild time because it was before vintage was super cool, right? So it was before Urban Outfitters was cherry picking every thrift store. And I mean, I've run into them in Florida. Florida's one of the best places in the world to get vintage because people bring all their stuff down here to retire and then realize all they want is a t-shirt. So, uh, and flip-flops. Um, and so Florida just has this epic vintage scene. And so back then, Oh my gosh, you could go to a thrift store for 10 minutes and get a hundred garments that were unbelievable. And we were, uh, you know, I learned from the woman I was working for um, to really put your stamp on things and not sell vintage for vintage sake, right? So we weren't selling dresses with the vintage hat and the vintage shoes and the vintage bag. Um, Marjorie from the Urban Collection really was one of the first people to put a vintage dress, take it to the seamstress, cut it off, make it a mini dress, put a pair of really cool, you, you know, Steve Madden platforms on and like great costume jewelry and sell it as something that looks like it would be $1,200 off the runway. Love. And, um, you know, we it, it was something from the 70s. And so something that uh, I really took from that was don't just go mainstream, right? Always think outside the box when it comes to retail, because there are only so many ways to cut a dress, right? And it's really hard to stand out in any capacity, whether you're selling vintage now, because that's so cool and so hot, or if you're just in, in, you know, regular clothing. I mean, you go to market and there's a hundred million garments on the sales floor, on the, you know, uh, floor of any market that you go to. But guess what? It's all looks pretty much the same. So the only way you can set yourself apart is by putting your own personal stamp on it. And that's really one of the things that I took away from working in vintage is, you know, don't just see a dress see the person that is going to wear that dress and the lifestyle that they have wearing that dress. And- I, oh, sorry. I, with merchandising vintage, I, it seems like a total nightmare. I'm not going to lie because it's like the, every, the, even the best vintage stores, you know, it, you're mixing, you're, you're dealing with singles. You're not dealing yeah. with like, you know, when we get apparel in a six pack, two to two, two, like you're dealing with. So what was your philosophy on merchandising? vintage was it coloring it out was it you know oh. styling groups like i i'm, I'm always fanci- fascinated with this yeah. yes we did a lot of micro collections and we you know did a lot of lot with um color schemes that's all you can do really breaking up the prints because when you're talking about vintage there's a lot of wild prints that go into that so you're really trying to be very very aware of the balance of prints and solids that you're taking into your store because merchandise and we still do this i still have this philosophy inside my shop today because we have a lot of very print heavy brands in order to not overwhelm the consumer, you really have to make sure that there is this method to the madness. Otherwise, it just looks like a sea of insanity when people walk in. 
And truthfully, in today's day and age, people are already super overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by their phone and, you know, the millions of things. We're just all on content overload. And retail should be retail therapy. It should be this breath of fresh air. And if people walk in, and I'm sure you know this, if the merchandising is cluttered and chaotic, it's going to turn them off and they're going to be there for three seconds. And yeah, so with vintage, we had to be very, very careful with that and do a lot of smaller displays, not any big racks and kind of micro collection it out. Did you, I just got back from magic. Did you do magic or you did, you did Atlanta? I, I do Atlanta. I'm really, (laughs) I did magic for so long. Um, But truthfully, because we have our great core brands um, and Atlanta is so easy. It's an hour flight for us. I can be in and out. It just, I'm kind of spoiled by, by that. So. So the one thing that I, you know, just as a side note was going through this season more than the last two seasons it there is like seems like four different groups going on crochet and mm-hmm. that vintage but the weirdest not weird but like there was a little bit of that mary mecco influence the last mm-hmm. season like <sighs> this one now it was like 60s mary and it was a very small quadrant it was not a lot there was more of the still everyone's doing pink but it was more mm-hmm. of like the mix of which i love that kind of grunge vibe of like distressed yeah. denim and then like oh, yeah. a lace like floral organdy skirt attached to it was like so good but the that mary mecco 60s funky print thing especially now that mushrooms are so big so it was like yeah. a super 60s mushroom like are you seeing the same thing? And if so, what are some of your, because we're going to go all over the board with this conversation. What are some of your favorite trends that you saw in Atlanta that yeah. are coming out for fall? I love that people are taking a risk for fall with color. I'm mm-hmm. loving seeing the hot pinks and these great emerald greens and, you know, all of the uh, like cobalt blues and things that are more unexpected. And I definitely think that's a product of COVID, right? So I, I was, it actually took took me a little aback the last time I was at market when I was buying for fall because it took me a minute to kind of mentally get there because you walk in and you see all these bright colors and sequins everywhere, feathers oh everywhere. Yes. And I'm, I was like, where am I? What's going on? Is this a holiday show? Like, I don't know what's happening. And it really was that people were cooped up. And now everybody's like, let's go. And if I'm going out, I'm getting ready. I'm so excited. And that excites me because, you know, the last 10 years, leggings, athleisure, all of that is like such a core staple. And that's not why I got into this industry. I mean, I don't sell evening wear. I don't sell, you know, anything close to that. The only time I carry sequins in my stores for about a four week period during the holidays. But at the same time, I love fun, right? I love exciting pieces that watching people in the dressing rooms put it on and their entire mood changes, right? They saunter out of the store because they're so excited for this new piece. And I think that this new wave has the ability to really be a mood booster for people that we have needed, especially for women, right? It's... It sounds so dumb, but retail therapy really is a a real thing. And I think that's what sets apart brick and mortar from e-commerce. 
we what another reason why I really was enthusiastic to start this new company is because I started seeing a trend that during COVID, if anybody ever wanted to start a clothing business, <laughs> they had a whole bunch of time to do it, right? So we saw this huge influx of e-commerce stores or Facebook comment sold stores, and it's just flooded the marketplace. But what people don't realize, and this is why I left the online world, is it's a lonely place. Yeah. And especially now when you're basically being held hostage by the social media platforms to do reels and do all of this crazy stuff to sell a dress, and you're doing it at home alone. Yeah. That's not why people get into retail. It's just not. And so we're starting to see this trend of people wanting to leave and go into the brick and mortar space. But brick and mortar is scary. Mm -hmm. I say all the time, you have to have a screw loose in order to really get into brick and mortar because you can't just walk away from a commercial lease. You can't yeah. just walk away from these big contracts with uh, you know, brands. You can't just walk away from a store that has $100,000 worth of merchandise on the inside. It's a much bigger commitment, but you're starting to see people put their feet in the water. They're Googling, they're on YouTube. They, I get so many comments on my videos of people saying, oh man, I really, this is so awesome. I've been looking for somebody who can help just answer a few questions because there is this veil when it comes to- And no one wants to talk about it. No one, no. it's like this weird, I had said to somebody, you know, part of what I love about doing the gift show is the shuttle ride home because- everybody's guard is down. You've had a cocktail. Everyone's in the bus. You're, and you have the most amazing conversations about lines you found and stuff that you love it that you, for, I don't know why standing in a showroom, you can't have, and we'll be in a showroom with five retailers that I know. And I want to come like, Hey, how are you? And I'm having to get a little more daring because of the podcast. Cause it's like, I want to meet these people and, and hopefully have them. But as a buyer, it's a very, no one wants to talk about like, it's like super secret. And it's like, why? Like it's sharing, oh, right. sharing what was successful and what worked for me. And I think that's the reason why so many retailers love this podcast. And they are honestly learning stuff is because people are talking about what works for them and what didn't. And you don't, you don't find that. I mean, like you're talking about it. I talk about it, but it's so great to see and hear what other people are doing, but I only get it in the shuttles. Like I really, honestly, I never yeah. have these, even at magic. Like I think I talked to probably four people and it was because we were all waiting outside of an elevator. That's the only reason, yeah. reason why. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But it's not just like that at market for somebody who has a brick and mortar store in my town, we have 25 other boutiques. And for so many years, there was just this weird, you can't talk, you can't, if you know, you're, you're suspicious of anybody walking in the door, you think everybody's trying to steal your brand and your vibe. And I mean, the very first thing I did when I started this company, if you go to my website right now, shameless plug, how to run a retail store.com, the pop up on the front of my website, I will give you an entire list of all of my brands for every category, jewelry, clothing, except you like, who does that? I, I give it to you in a spreadsheet. And in my mind, I think 
<laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that if somebody really wants to steal my brand, good luck. I've had so many ups and downs. I have, it has been so hard, but also you walk into my store and it is authentically me. Someone could carry the exact same products to a T and it would be a completely different vibe when they open their doors. And that's the beauty of small business. And yeah. so I'm not worried about people stealing my ideas, right? The more the merrier. I think it's great. Well, it's like, I, you know, I just literally had this conversation with Matt from Fine Lines is that, so I work for a really big wholesale showroom that I do all his visuals for Stephen Young. He's 70,000 square feet in the Los Angeles market. He's opening Vegas and people are, everybody at the show was talking about it because everyone knows Stephen. He has all the top lines, Veluspa, like almost every publishing company. I mean, it is a well-known brand. So everyone's talking about it and it's like majority of it was fear and then there are some people that were mm-hmm. excited. And I learned a long time ago from my mentor, Fred Siegel, was you worry about you, stop worrying about everybody else, and you keep pushing your envelope. And I, I had said this the other day on, on my, my stories is that you worry about you. Like, honestly, like what everybody else is doing, they're going to do their thing. You're the what you're going to do and how you present it. There's nobody else that's going to be able to copy that. So even if you carry, because especially in the cash and carry world, we all know like there is no zip code protection. So I carry the same thing, a store right behind me carries, but we show it two different ways. And that's the beautiful part. And it's like, to be honest, like someone, if they're standing in your store and they're looking at something and they love this, they're not going to go, oh, I'm going to go buy it over there because they may have it for $2 less or whatever. I mean, they're not going to. And I wish people would get off that fear train and stand in their in their confidence and know what they put out and what their brand is no one else is going to do and that's the beautiful part and the more people that are shopping on your block having 25 other stores means there's more people coming to your neighborhood to shop your store because there's more of their uh, more stuff for people to buy and see it's like if you're on a street with only three retailers, great, but it's like, it's not, it doesn't become a destination for people who want to shop. And it, it's like, I wish so bad people and you giving like all your lines out is like, you're not afraid of it. It's like, it, it's people are going to shop with you because they love you and they love how you do it. And I also think that one something that is setting what I'm doing apart from whoever else is doing it out on the internet is that. I'm, I, I definitely give out the advice of, you know, the, how to do spreadsheets and all of the very mechanical aspects of running a business and being in retail. But one of the things that I'm super focused on is how to create your store, not a store, but your store and digging into everything. Like what is your happy place? And then how do you make that a reflection inside of your store. How, you know, who is your primary core customer that you are going after and then leaning into that? Because as a small business owner, we're giving up our entire lives for this thing, maybe financially, but definitely time-wise. And so many times people see, this is how I start a store. 
They look on the internet, they do checkbox, and then they open it and it's super cookie cutter because they're too scared to go too outside the lines. And then they close two years later because they have no brand identity. They aren't connecting with the consumer and they can't figure out what happened because they checked all the boxes, right? And no one is talking about how to set yourself apart. Honestly, I went through this. This is why I, for many, many, many years prior to COVID, I kept seeing the internet continue to tell me that you had to up-level every step of the way, right? If you wanted to grow, you better doing, be doing flat lays that look like Old Navy and Target, <laughs> right? Like you have these, these standards in your head. If you want to have a great online store, it better look like Nordstrom. If you want to connect with the customer, you better have all of the marketing strategies that all of these big stores have because they are going to steal your customers if you don't. And finally, during COVID, after years and years and years, and I had an entire offsite office with full staff that was helping me with all of these things, spending so much money. And I finally was like, what the hell am I doing? I'm a small business. I need that to be my superpower. I want being small to be my superpower. And that's how I'm going to compete against Target because we are no longer going to be in the same category. Somebody's going to go to Target, pick up a couple of things, but the idea that I am a competitor of them mm-hmm. is completely broken apart in the consumer's mind. And that's what I think has been missing in the conversation. We're being told that we have to compete with these billion dollar companies and it's burning everyone out, everybody out. And it's funny. I don't, you know, be, I guess because of my my time with Fred and, and I I love competition, but I I always I've never thought of of Target being a like people say Amazon. Oh, Amazon's going to take over the world. It's like no, no one is going to replace the tactile being able to touch and feel. No one is going to be able to replace Target has shitty customer service. Sorry, Target. I love going there. Like they shitty customer service. Like you're shopping in a shopping cart. I mean, I love Target, but it's not the same thing as shopping in your store or any of my client's store where you have that customer connection where people call you on your birthday or this just came in. I know you were waiting for it. Like I've got it on hold for you. Like none of those stores are going to do that. So I guess I've never really, but I think about it in the world of social media. Yeah. And now even more, I think TikTok is like, you know, so many of the junior brands and how they're utilizing TikTok. I mean, like, I I mean, one of my clients, like, you know, and watching. So it was funny. It was like, it dawned on me in the last day. It was like, I forget what booth I was in. And it was like a lady my age, who's doing the buying. And then she's got her either daughter or the girls that work for her in tow who are chiming in on what they like and boom, like, it's like TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. And it, it's so funny. You could see like the buyer, the owner, whatever is like, you guys go do your thing. I'm going to like, it was the, the influence of TikTok in fashion. Like I even think those, that's a total different animal too. I mean, I think it's relevant, but I, I think that a lot of, of retailers are looking at that like, oh my God, I can't do that. Like that's, you know, like. Well, it's also pulling a lot of, uh, I think people are going to get really burnt out way more 
quickly um, because of this. And so when I was been going to market the last couple of years, it's driving me freaking crazy because I've been doing this for several years, right? Like I'm 13 years in. And so when I'm going to market, I'm buying for a store that's doing over a million dollars a year, right? So I can't go into a booth and buy three items. That's just not a thing that's going to happen. I'm buying two or three rolling racks from each booth. And so when I have to navigate around a group of four girls that are going Facebook live to decide whether one of the five items that they are getting, they should purchase. And they are taking up samples for an hour and I'm just trying to like roll through it. You know what I mean? It, it is, it's making it so much harder for me, but also I feel bad for those ghost girls because they're not making any decisions. They're relying. It seems like a good idea at the time. Like ask the consumer, that's great. But why the heck would you want a boutique if you don't get to make any of the decisions? Yeah. All right. Like the whole point is that you want to go to market and have fun and pick out all these things. Well, you are stripping that away and you are training your customer that they're the ones in charge and not you. And eventually it's not going to be fun anymore. It's not going to be fun anymore. about that way. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it's the, um, I, I, I have a love hate with it. I love seeing it in real time because, to, I mean, we had talked about this off camera is that uh, I have said this many times that the pandemic had a way of wiping away the old school retailers that were afraid to get online and afraid to go live and not, you know, not on TikTok and not that I believe you need to be on it, but I do believe you need a sense of it, but it has kind of hit this, odd peak of the clash of the the TikTok buyers and the clash of the real retailers who are knee deep in it and who've been doing it for years and are used to being able to get in, get out of their appointment and now navigate. It's a, it is a very odd time. Like it's, and I, I, I can also appreciate it because it's fascinating to watch you know, like I was saying, like the girls going live and like they've picked out what items are going to do. They've already decided on the retail price and they're taking live orders and they're turning around and say, I'll take 10 packs. Like oh, I yeah. want to see that at the gift industry in a sense of like, here's the new Veluspa candle. It's Goji, whatever. It's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. How many, how, who wants it? Who wants the big oversized? It's like $120 candle. Like who's going to commit to that? So, so I can make my decision that that part hasn't hit gift yet. And I think it's fascinating. I don't know if it's it's never going to get to the point where fashion is because fashion yeah. is a totally different animal, but it is, it, it is an interesting like clash of like these worlds all of a sudden. And, and I know half my gift buyers that listen to this don't ever get a chance to see any of this. Like I'll, I'll go live and I'll show on stories like what's happening at magic, but you really don't get a sense of what is going on, you know, on a situation like that in a, in a booth where it's like, there's only so much space and it's like, it's fucking chaotic. Mm-hmm. It's absolute chaos and we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. You know, like I was saying, I think we're getting a big influx of new people coming into the marketplace. So uh, show has been really interesting in that regard too, because it's overcrowded. There's way more people than usual. And there's a lot of people wide eyed walking around, you know, and, and that's exciting. It means that our industry is thriving that, um, you know, there's, there's all these people that keep saying, 
brick and mortar is dead and retail is dead because of Amazon. It's like, okay, come to market. Let's see. And you'll you'll see that is not the case. Um, But I'm, I'm interested to see what the next couple of years bring, especially, like I said, as people start getting burnt out on the internet. I mean, I... Instagram is a whole different animal than it was three months ago. Now you can only do reels and you have to have a three second intro hook and it has to be under 10 seconds. And I mean, so are you going to do that for every single thing inside your store? I have a thousand new items a week inside my store. I can't do that. So it's just relearning where, how to optimize everything without getting burnt out at the same time. And we'll see. I don't know. It's a wild time in retail. Tell me a little bit about you now have phased out of vintage and now you are focusing on, on established brands. You're yeah. out of cash and carry. So talk to me about when you, cause you have two locations, you have outfitters and then you have the accessory shop. Tell me when you made that split and how, how you, your, what is your philosophy on merchandising and buying for each of these locations? Yeah. So, um, it, it, it is technically two locations, but I cut a hole in the wall. So it's actually one location. Um, and the reason why I branded it that way is, so if you're standing outside of my store, they have two entryways and two separate signs, misread outfitters and misread accessories. And then when you walk inside, I have big, you know, archways where people can pass through. The reason why I did that is because I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I am absolutely fascinated by retail theory. I'm fascinated watching how consumers interact with retail spaces. And I, I truly believe that that's been one of my, uh, you know, secret weapons in the past is watching all of that and, and implementing. And so when I took over my neighboring space and cut a hole in the wall, one of the things that I hated is that we are in such a high traffic district that you have all of these people walking by, but you would have this entire demographic who I knew, no, would love the things inside my store, but they would see my windows. It's primarily clothing focused. We only go up to a size large. So you have this entire demographic that would never come in. All of a sudden by branding one side as accessories, everybody loves an earring. Everybody loves some shoes and a bag. And so we are started capturing this huge portion of the market that never would have even stepped foot inside of my store previously. So it was really just rethinking the branding um, of the outside of the store that has, has led to that success. So do you, have you separated them or is it all cross merchandise just the way it was before? It just now has two different storefronts, two different windows that show clearly that is two different. So the clothing side has the bulk of the clothing. We do have clothing on the other side, but it's minimal, you know, it's uh, kimonos and, you know, little micro collections here and there. And I have jewelry bring in the other space, but the bulk of, you know, my shoe department, my bag departments are all in the accessory side. So there is some cross, obviously, for merchandising purposes and whatnot. We want to, you know, encourage people to buy an entire outfit, not just a dress or a pair of earrings. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, most people just wander through the entire of the space. That's brilliant, actually. It's when I think about it, when people that have single and it's accessories are hard because they're so small and you're talking about a giant window that it's like, you know, it's very easy to get, you know, something so small lost. Um, talk to me about when you started, when you decided to start your coaching. Ooh, so that is something that I've wanted to do for so long, but the timing just was never right. 
And um, so one of the other, I've done a lot, I feel like, in the, in the retail yeah. industry. Uh, yeah, you bounce around until you figure out what you want to do and what speaks to you. But one of the other things that I did is that I um, used to be an on-air uh, guest for Home Shopping Network. It's based out of St. Petersburg, Florida. And I um, would do that on the side and wrapped a lot of brands that were um, all over the place. And at one point was also doing the home shopping network equivalent in Canada, as well as here and flying all over the place and, you know, meeting with brands in New York on top of running my store. So it was crazy. But one of the things that uh, was a great benefit of doing this is that I got extensive on-air training. So home shopping network has the best of the best people flying in training their um, guests and their hosts on a regular basis. And so after doing this for several years, I really, I mean, I, it was crazy. I, I, there were times where I was walking on set and they would hand me something as I'm literally walking on air and they're like, okay, here you go. This is what you're talking about. And then you're on live TV for an hour to talk about this stuff. So, you know, that really trial by fire prepares you for anything. And I just really knew that I wanted to be able to do that for my own brand at some point. And we did a little bit Facebook-esque thing and people kept saying, well, why aren't you selling on Facebook and doing the comments sold? But truthfully, the reason why I got into retail was because I liked the human interaction. I didn't want to even go down that road. That just wasn't what my calling was meant to be, I guess, right? And so um, this really allows me to pay it forward in a lot of ways. I have um, learned so many things in the last... 20 years of being in retail and it incorporates, uh, you know, my ability to talk on TV, talk on YouTube and, and Instagram and all of these other things and share a ton of knowledge that like we were talking about just doesn't seem to be out there right now. Um, so the timing just felt really right. And I'm excited to see where it goes. We'll see. How do you work with people? Like, are, are you taking one-on-one clients? Are you, I know you have got your eBooks and whatnot, but how do you work with, like for, for retailers listening to this and they want to come to you, like, how do you work with them? Yep. You can actually go to the website, uh, howtorunaretailstore.com. And we can, um, we have lots of different options on there. If all you want is to talk to me for an hour about a single problem you might have, you can book an hour long Zoom call with me and um, we can hash some stuff out. Or if you just want to feel me out, see if I'm legit (laughs) and we would work well together, you can book that right then and there. And then we also have a program where um, we'll do, we can do something longer term. I have a minimum of uh, 10 hours that I require for that kind of contract. But, um, you know, that can be customizable. So I'll come in and I can really help you hash out whatever it is that you you want. But I also have e-courses. And so um, we have two separate e-courses, one for brand new businesses looking to get in the game, and then one for businesses that are really looking to up level. And those e-courses include three Zoom calls with me. So it has videos, long, you know, longer format, 10, 15 minute videos of me um, talking and then homework. And, um, and then you do a section and then you get a, a zoom call with me that I can really help you refine and refine. And then it repeats two more times. And so it's, um, not just, uh, left your own devices kind of course. It's immersive. Yeah. Do you go to people's stores? Like if someone's like, Hey, I need you to, I, I, I can't do it myself. I need to, how do you do that as well? 
Absolutely. So we um, we are working on that format right now, rolling out a larger um, program where me and my team can actually fly out because I have a, a um, amazing visual merchandising team that works for me. So um, yeah, that we would uh, fly out and set. If you're a new store, we can set your entire store up for you. Spend you know the week before you open, literally doing the visual and and helping you set up your point of sale and back end and all of that kind of stuff. Um, or if, if again, you just want to refresh, we'll come in and help you do that as well. So that's, that's customizable as well. Um, what are some of your favorite trends for this season? Oh man, this is going to sound so great. As I'm in like a denim top that I'm like, look so basic. I, I truly, this trend caught me off guard, but then once I embraced it, I was like, let's do this. And it was the ostrich feather kind of thing that was going on. I'm like, I don't know where anybody is going to wear this, but I love how fun it is and how as soon as you put something like that on, um, you just immediately feel that it's kind of fun and funky and gets you out of your comfort zone. And so um, I have a ton of that stuff coming in uh, for fall, things that are kind of lined, you know, on the cuffs and tube tops and all that kind of thing. So how are you going to show it? Are you showing it like for me, like my favorite was the midi sequin skirt, which I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. pair of golden goose tennis shoes oh, and yeah. a rocker t-shirt, maybe cut a V in it. And like, that's how, that's how I'm going to interpret it, interpret uh-huh. that. How are you interpreting the ostrich feather? How are you going to show it? Yeah. So our, uh, my vibe inside my store, we say is very, very anthropology. Um, it's a little bohemian, a little preppy, well-traveled, but it definitely is the girl that is pairing a rocker tee with, um, a sequin skirt or an ostrich feather tube top with a great pair of, you know, wide leg jeans and, you know, uh, some, uh, high heels. And, and so it's all about that high, low, right. Um, our, I think that that speaks to so many more people and it'll get people to embrace those fun pieces yeah. if you can make it easier and to wear and, and pairing, encourage people to pair it back with things that they already have. Right. And I think that that's, that's where we're seeing fashion going. We have more people taking risks than ever before. Hence why hot pink is one of the colors of the season for fall. Oh my God. I did a whole thing on stories about that. It's like, I know a lot of retailers are looking at this, like absolutely petrified by it. But like my, my advice to retailers was like, you know, for me, like one of my clients is a five-star pharmacy, believe it or not, apparel is the number one. We did over a quarter of a million dollars in apparel, like in a pharmacy, but you know, if you think about it, you're there, you're picking up subscriptions. Our price points are like $40 is the magic number, you know, because it's, you know, you're there picking up, but it's like that instant gratification. I don't have to like hide it. I don't have to like justify it. It's like, oh, and if it doesn't fit, you know, cause we don't have fitting rooms. It's literally, it can't be something like we don't do denim. We don't do anything with fixed waste, but it's like instant gratification, but we pink is not our customer, but like I'm training who's uh-huh. now who I'm, who's going to replace me. I'm passing the baton to Aaron in January. It's like, I've been with them for six or seven years. It's like time for Aaron to, so I was telling her, you know, trying to teach her you as a buyer, you do need to take some risks. Like it, it's, and then there in that, in that genre, like that is a risk taking, because there's not a lot of people who are going to buy it. But I said, you know, 
if you are going to do, we're going to do the pink puffer from high five. So cute. It's kind of short. It's a fashion piece, but we're going to show it with other sweaters that have a pink pink thread through it. And then there'll be basics cross merchandised in with it. So it's not, it doesn't need to be this giant pink thing, but damn pink was freaking everywhere. Like I was like, at some point I'm like, is this spring 2023 or is this fall? And they're like, no, it's fall. I'm like, Holy shit. The other phenomenon, which this is how, this is like really where I'm, I'm like, I know it's, you know, it's, it's the baby doll giant, like plume sleeves, kicked out short, mini, like cinched waist, like straight up baby doll dress. Like, and the girls, (laughs) I was like to watch fashion, like at magic. I love because it's, it's such a range of like the people that are wearing, still wearing joggers to a show. Mm-hmm. Sorry, get mm-hmm. kind of dressed. Um, but the baby girls and baby dolls with stacked heels that are like, I hit two, 23,000 steps our first day. Like, how are you doing that in stacks? I, I, <laughs> I think they're going for like one or two boots and then going to the bar. Like, I don't, I don't understand. My body is wrecked at the end of the show. I don't, and that's when I'm wearing sneakers. So yes, I, I don't know, but I, I truly believe, and this is another thing that people get so caught up in, in retail is they just go too hard on the trends and truthfully, the average consumer, yes, there's the TikTok crowd. That's like, everything is trendy. I need it now, but they're also the ones buying stuff and returning it with the tax, taking a couple of pictures and then returning it. So the real core customers, the ones that are going to come into your store, spend a thousand dollars without even blinking, they don't care about a baby doll dress. They want something that is well fitted, that makes them feel good and look good. They don't care if hot pink is a hot color. You know, they might try it once because why not? But they're not going to fill their entire closet with it. So, you know, as a buyer, you have to tread lightly on that kind of stuff. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> that's literally like that was literally my my stories like sitting in the hotel my last day of the show looking over all of the things that I had seen and you know uh, um so my what I always ask two last questions um I'm going to switch yours up one obviously uh you are extremely busy you have you wear a lot of hats how do you find balance oh balance um well, I'm not the best person to ask about that. Um, so I actually uh, have an interesting personal life because my husband is also a small business owner. Uh, his business is four blocks from mine on the same main street. He oh. owns yeah, he owns a microbrewery called Green Bench Brewing Company. Um, it's uh, nationally distributed, very, very oh, well cool. known all over the place. And um, his is a much bigger facility than my little 2,500 square foot storefront. Uh, they ha- they have 40,000 square feet and all this kind of stuff. Wow. But um, our entire life is small business and uh, downtown St. Pete. So um, it's, but because of that, we have a really awesome group of um, small business owners that we're very close with. And that kind of spun out of the pandemic. Um, because when everybody was closed, small business owners were still coming down to Central Avenue every day. And we're all at our respective businesses going, hey, are you okay? You know? Uh-huh. And so um, 
we, we really got close with a lot of other small business owners. And what's fun about that is most people in who do have a screw loose and have a brick and mortar of any kind, restaurant, retail, whatever, um, have like to have a good time and they like to frequent other, uh, small businesses. So we travel a lot with this group. We eat out a lot with this group and, um, you know, and it's great to be able to sit in a room with like-minded people and not have to tell your story because when you do own a small business in the town you live in, people constantly, Oh, you do that. Cool. Tell me everything about it. And you're like, I just worked 12 hours. I need to sit here. (laughs) my glass of whiskey and not talk to anybody, please. And so, you know, when you're hanging out with other small business owners, you're all on the same page. So the only thing you're talking about is either, you know, like funny small business stories or, man, did you see the weather today? Dang, right? Like it, it allows you to zone out. You don't have to constantly be on. What and a great so, system. Yes. I I encourage people if they're in small business in any capacity and they don't have any other small business friends, make that a huge priority in your life because it will make a world of difference for your anxiety, for that idea that, you know, you're not alone. Even if I'm like, I'm hanging out with people in coffee shops and cocktail bars and the, you know, Cuban bodega and all these things, but you're all on the same page. And and, um, it's, that's made a world of difference in our lives. I was going to ask you your best piece of advice for someone in a, in a retail situation. I kind of think that was, that was it. <laughs> it really is. Thank you so much for your time. Um, please tell everybody where they can find you one more time. Yeah. So you can look up Sarah Stone Cipher on YouTube and we have tons and tons of great free content on there about everything brick and mortar you can ever imagine. And if you want to dive deeper, you can head on over to howtorunaretailstore.com. Again, if you're thinking about opening a business or up-leveling your current business, there's tons of content of all price points on there. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I want to kind of do a collaboration with you at some point. I think it'd be really good. Yeah, I would love it. I'm down. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that is a wrap. The Retailer Podcast is produced by myself, Michelle Sherrier, and Catherine Kalou with digital marketing and guest support from Elisa Anthony. Our website, where you can find all of our episodes, can be found at www.theretailhorrorpodcast.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Retail Horror Podcast. <laughs>